As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Total Soccer Show and day two of the 2022 World Cup. The USMNT played their first World Cup game in eight years and turned up for one of the halves <laughs> as Tim Weir's opener was cancelled out by an elderly gentleman with a man bun. There's plenty to discuss in a game of mixed fortunes, interesting refereeing, and a man one of us is dubbing Beefy Keefy. <laughs> And there's been a significant swing on the It's Coming Homeometer as England opened oh, their no. campaign with a rousing victory over oh, Iran. God. It's delicately poised for Black Friday, gents. My name is Ryan oh. Bailey. Joining me today, as always, a man who went on an emotional roller coaster for the USMNT game. Taylor Rockwell, I've never seen you look like you're about to punch a wall more in my life. Yeah, it wasn't my favorite thing. Uh, le- even less so now, forgetting that we had to talk about England and the result there. Because it's been so long since we watched that game. So suddenly remembering that you get to gloat about six goals while we have to mourn a 1-1 draw loss uh, is not the best way to end the day. But I am happy for you, less so for the USMNT. More on that victory later, mm-hmm. Tate. We're going to talk about the US first. And we're all going to introduce a man who predicted a 1-1 draw for the US and therefore made it happen. Joe Lowry. I was going to say, is this my fault? Did I do this, yes. everyone? I think I think we can all agree that I, I may have played a part in this. Ryan, I hate that I was right. I'm not usually right on score predictions. What did you say last night at the live show about predictions are made to look make us look dumb? Yep. I wish this one had made me look dumb because the US had a really good first half. The second half was less good for reasons we'll talk about later. Yikes, Ryan. Just yikes. Yikes, indeed. Rounding out our pack, a man who had to watch England score six goals yeah. in the presence of me yeah, this yeah. morning. Graham yeah, Rutherford, hello. Yeah, yeah not my favourite day. I got a sense for what it was going to be like today when you stood up for the national anthem in the living room. Just the four of us, Ryan Bailey in the middle of the room, standing up for God Save the King. I didn't sing, though. Is that okay? Uh, not much better, no. Okay, okay. It was very early. I will sing next time. 
All right. Oh, great. Thank Good. you. Yay. <laughs> I'm looking forward a, to that. I thought it was a bit much that you had like an honorary stuffed corgi with you. That felt mm. a bit much. Maybe even insensitive, to be honest. Yeah, I, I mean, just... I don't think, like, to, to take someone's corgi and do that to it was kind of yeah. rough, well, Ryan. Uh, it's Black Friday. I, I'm, I haven't told you yet, but I have Amazon some live corgis. A real corgi. Friday. <laughs> so, yeah, get ready for that. Get ready for that. Um, before we get to the action of today's games, we just want to thank everybody who mm-hmm. came to yes. a live show on Sunday evening in Brooklyn, New York. It was Amazing. Uh, a really wonderful time, Taylor. It really, really was. It yeah. was a, truly a great night. Uh, I thought the, the show itself was really great, but the uh, the crowd brought the energy, brought the enthusiasm. Uh, we, we did some good whiteboard games, which we left at the Airbnb. Graham and Joe <laughs> went on a mad dash to get back in time with those whiteboards, and they were a difference maker, it turns out. Mm. So well done to you two for your emergency services. And really, just overall, a really nice way to start the World Cup to get kind of the energy and the enthusiasm from that crowd and the anticipation of this game that we're going to be talking about in a slightly less energetic way, I think, by the end. I'll probably still be pretty animated, though, I'm guessing. I imagine so. I imagine (laughs) so, Taylor. So thank you to everybody who came to that. And if you missed out, another opportunity to hang out with the TSS guys is coming up this Sunday at Park Life. Park Life. Park Life, just behind the venue in Littlefield, which we were at uh, on this previous Sunday uh, from 12 p.m. Eastern. That is the time zone we're in, I believe, this coming Sunday in the build-up to Spain versus Germany. Graham, what are we doing? Uh, quizzing, watching Spain versus Germany, watching Spain play a lot of passes, I imagine. Yeah. Watching Germany be very German, I'd also imagine. <laughs> and yeah, come along, 15 bucks a ticket. Um, I think a lot of the, the, the people who were at the live show on Sunday there at Littlefield will also be heading on the other side of the wall to uh, to Park Life on Sunday. So please come along and it should be good, it should be good fun. Excuse me. Yeah, the other side of the wall, they're not going to Scotland. <laughs> no, no. Okay. All right. All right. Well, thank you. Please do join us for that one, guys. Ticket link in the description if you'd like to come and hang out with us in New York. Let's get to the action, shall we, from today. Big game. USMNT 1, Wales 1. Tim Weyer with a pretty nice goal in the first half. Pulisic with a great assist for that goal as well. Then around 10 minutes from time, little old Gareth Bale steps up to the penalty spot, puts an unsavable one past Matt Turner. This, as I mentioned, Taylor, was... A game where an emotional roller coaster, I think, is what mm-hmm. I said earlier. Like a lot of excitement at the start, really an encouraging first half, plenty to plenty of positives to draw from that yep. first half. Second half, uh, US changed things, Wales changed things, your mood changed. Yeah, a little bit. But and I did think at halftime it didn't seem feasible to me that things would take as big of a turn as they did because it was it was the most complete performance I think we've seen from Greg Berhalter's team. In a good long while. Maybe not ever, but but to me it felt like everybody was doing exactly what was expected. It felt like we had them playing with high energy, moving the ball quickly. It was it was being patient, but uh, as Ryan's seat makes noises, Ryan, I got you covered, don't worry. Yeah, sure, uh, it was the seat. <laughs> and and it, it was just a very electric performance. It was exactly what we had hoped to see, or at least what I had hoped to see. And so when the United States comes out, I felt like you could see some nerves from the jump in that second half, and it felt like the energy if not like dissipated, at the very least, the intensity and the willingness to kind of go at Wales and make Wales uncomfortable certainly did. And I think that's where it started to feel like, oh no, things might go wrong. I still really thought they were going to hold out for the 1-0 win, uh, but then there's the unfortunate penalty yeah. late, uh, courtesy of Walker Zimmerman. Uh, I do think the overall approach from the United States sort of bleeds into why he has to make that desperation tackle, even though Gareth Bale is facing away from goal and probably not going to turn and shoot into the top corner. But I still understand why you got to kind of try to make a play on him there 
there as opposed to letting things develop further. It felt to me like the the second half defining moment was going to be that Matt Turner save. Yes, he extends like right did. above his right. head, a did. strong forearm. He he gets that ball over the top of the bar, right? He keeps he keeps his arm strong and gets it over the bar. I, I thought that was going to be it, but that to me felt like Wales's chance in the second half. There was always going to be one. That was the one, and then it turns out. Unfortunately for Walker Zimmerman and the U.S., there was one more. It was a needless challenge to bring Bale down in the box. Not that it wasn't a dangerous moment, but not really a moment to go to ground. I thought the U.S. was good in the first half. I don't think they were sensational, but I thought they were good. And it, it was a good start to this tournament for the U.S., especially after what we saw back in September. But just so disappointing. A mix of things I referenced earlier. The U.S. was too passive. Taylor, that was, I think, your your biggest yep. beef with this second half for the U.S. is they were far too passive. You can see, really, at the start of the half, they set up in this mid-block, and they tried to transition. Now, they did press some throughout the second half. There were moments where they were being aggressive and, and trying to go at Wales. Wales up their game and made some changes as well to bring on Beefy Keefy. That's two on the Beefy Keefy counter. Now it's three. Love this. That's Kiefer Moore, by the way. Yeah, Kiefer Moore. Six foot five, Kiefer Moore. Uh, Who? Wales do... Uh, Beefy Keefy? Oh, my, my mistake. Thank you, thank you, thank um, you. <laughs> Wales do improve. They actually start to play some soccer. More does make a big difference for them to bringing uh, bringing other players into the game. But the U.S. lost their energy. I don't think the midfield had any legs. Musa was yeah. was losing it. McKenney didn't have 90 minutes in him to begin with in this game. And the U.S. was too slow to transition. It was a really poor mix of, of factors for the U.S. that I think led to sort of a yeah. mini second-half collapse. I think the second half, the, the midfield kind of lost its grip of the game, and that would be a concern going forward. I have I have questions over that, that energy drop-off. So in the first half, the tempo from the U.S. was very, very high, and I thought that was one of the most impressive things. Going back to the September friendlies, where that tempo and intensity just wasn't there at all, and it was there in the first half, and that was the first kind of realisation that the U.S. were here to play, that they, they were they were wired in to this game and that they were going to be the protagonist. And I think the selections that Berhalter made in that first half for his starting lineup kind of showed that that was the intention. Tim Ream playing alongside Walker Zimmerman. I liked a lot of what we saw from Tim Ream. Mm-hmm. And I know Walker Zimmerman in the end makes the the mistake that leads to the penalty, but that, that's an execution mistake rather than anything to do with the, the chemistry or the balance of that back line. So I said on our BR show, if there was nothing disastrous in that backline uh, formula, that I would keep that pretty much in every game. Yep. I stand by that. I don't expect any changes for the, for the England game between uh, Walker Zimmerman and, and Tim Ream. But be, in that second half, there was definitely a drop-off. I'm interested if that was due to fitness. There are a few players in that USMNT side that there is some question marks about their fitness coming into this tournament or whether it's just the, the nervous energy of the first game of this tournament and once that nervous nervous energy nervous energy excuse me builds up or dissipates actually for the second game whether they'll be able to sustain that yeah. over the full 90 minutes I do think it was probably a combination of fitness I think uh, Joanne Graham are smart to point that out that the, the entire team definitely starts fading as, as the game goes on. There's a lot of cramping. There's a lot of substitutions. Weston McKinney looked like he was injured in the first half and tried to play through it. So I think that is a big part of this. But I do think the way Greg Berhalter chose to adjust to deal with that fatigue was to sit off a little bit more. And uh, and Joe is right to bring back, back uh, that point because as that second half goes on, but really even in the first five or ten minutes of the second, you can just see that that midfield three is sitting 
maybe 10 yards in front of the back line, and then the front three are probably 30 yards further up the pitch. And there's just so much space in the middle for Wales to operate that there wasn't in that first half. And it let Wales get back into the game. It let them start to kind of control the game. They get a few more touches. They realize, hey, we can play this game. I think in the first half, they really couldn't get anything going. And when you can't get anything going, there's just no rhythm, there's no consistency, and there's a lot of frustration. I think that frustration melted away for Wales in the second, and they ended up getting that goal. I agree with Graham. I don't think I would then sit Walker Zimmerman or anything like that. I think it's a product of those so that more sort of passive approach to the second half. So if we're going to talk about that passive approach, mm-hmm. the drop-off in the second half, and we're going to say fitness is a factor there, I'm concerned because this is the youngest squad mm-hmm. in this tournament. Wales, by contrast, have had a few players who are a little bit older, who've had players who haven't played full seasons. This is a young team. Why Why is that an issue? I don't quite get that. Anybody? <laughs> I'm not sure I really have an answer for that question, but as it, it, it did cross my mind watching the game was... If this is the when I talk about if this is fitness levels versus versus nervous energy, if it's the former, then that is a concern because you know this is at the end of a cycle under Berhalter where they they should be able to to play at that intensity and tempo. They should have gamed that out. They should have road tested that in previous games. So yeah, coming into a World Cup, I'm I'm hoping that that's nervous energy and not not the other thing. One thing I could I could see, and this is entirely speculation, I could see Greg Berhalter basically looking at his team, seeing some of the minor injuries, knowing that there are. Uh, some fitness injury or issues and then some fatigue issues potentially and thinking if we keep going with an aggressive high high energy approach if we try to take the game to Wales in that second half it might work for 15 minutes it might work for 20 or 30 but eventually there will be even more fatigue there and that's when they could get carved open mm. that's when an opportunity could be presented so I can see a world in which he decided I'm going to conserve energy I'm going to sit us deeper we're going to make Wales come out and play then we're going to hit them on the break but that will allow us to basically keep our reserves make them get really tired and then maybe we can get one more I can see that logic I think then if that's the case there's a failure in the approach and there's a failure in the execution and I mm-hmm. think some of that is on Berhalter yeah. and some of that's on the players this this sounds excusey and it is a little bit I think part of this is also to do with the timing of this particular World Cup players are are you saying what tired. we're saying or what you're no, about what to I'm say. about to say okay, gotcha, what I'm about gotcha. to say sorry I think it's excusey and, and, and part of that is true but the timing of this World Cup does play a part here right U.S. players are in the middle of their club seasons. They're they're tired, just like everybody else is. I'm yeah, not so saying this is a U.S.-specific yeah. thing. Yeah. But also, you compound that with the injuries that this team has. You go out there, and you have real success in the first half, being aggressive, being up-tempo. It is harder to sustain that if you're the U.S. and you want to play that way against Wales, relative to the fact that if you're Wales, you don't have to run, right? The only moments you're running and really going for it are those brief moments of transition. They had more on the tank, I think, in the second half than the U.S. did. Yeah, I'm talking about injuries and fitness. Five subs made in the second half here. Gio Reyna became a talking mm-hmm. point, Joe, in this one. Um, what do we make about him? His, the lag thereof, I suppose. I wanted to see him. I, I wanted to see him. I think he is the single most talented player the U.S. has, especially with some of the set-piece struggles, which I'd like to talk about later when we're done with the Reyna thing. Yeah. Um, I think he would have been useful in a lot of different oh, moments sorry, in this Joe, game. We were going to talk about them, but we couldn't get over the first man. So uh, we can't quite uh, talk about them. We'll see if we can try it again later on. Probably still won't be able to get it over that one. That was funny. That was really good. <laughs> I liked it. I liked, I'm still no, saying it's it gritted teeth. It was good. Um, yeah, Taylor, you read through a bunch of the comments <laughs> yeah. that Baralter made mm-hmm. about Gio Reyna, and then one comment from Gio Reyna himself. Yeah, it's not great. It's not great uh, because I think Berhalter, he was asked about the lack of Gio Reyna, and his initial answer was basically uh, people were cramping. It says, uh, looking at the game, the guys gave everything. People were cramping. Uh, that made subs tricky in this game. We had to get guys off the field, and in this phase of the game, we went with Jordan Morris, who we felt could give us speed and power. Uh, and that 
is the quote that has been taken and is being run with that basically he's saying, we chose Jordan Morris over Gio Reyna. Now, there is a little more nuance to it. Uh, he then clarified, they did a last-minute check on Gio Reyna yesterday. They think he's good to play and contribute. They think he'll be able to play, but given the phase of the game, they went with Morris. Again, more of the same, but then the final one, we're trying to get him up to speed. There's uh, tightness they're guarding against uh, in the training exercise against Algarafa, the closed doors friendly. There was tightness, and so it's a precaution in building him up. And I can understand that. That if And it sounds like he basically d- didn't want to reveal that Giorena is dealing with some tightness, dealing with some, some injury uh, potential. And I get the idea that if you sub in Giorena and you finish this game one-to-one, but he picks up an injury it's a lot worse of a result than we're talking about right now. The thing that compounds this, or makes this even more confusing, is that Gio Reyna was then asked and said, no, I'm 100% fit and ready to play. Now, that might just be Gio Reyna being Gio Reyna and saying, no, I'm good to go, don't ever doubt me. 80% I will. fit is 100% fit yeah, for you, Gio Reyna. You can cut yeah. my leg off and I'll still play. Uh, but it might also be that he's frustrated that he too wasn't involved. And, and I think it's, again, the very frustrating nature of this result. If they win 1-0 and they don't play Gio Reyna, the narrative is they got to rest Gio Reyna, they got to give him a break, and now a fully fit Gio Reyna takes on the country that he rejected because they weren't good enough oh, uh, in like that, that second game. I do like that a lot. <laughs> and so Ryan, with a very quizzical, somewhat annoyed expression. Interesting spin on the narrative, but go on. <laughs> but because they draw this game and he isn't involved, now we have a different story that is going to be a distraction, and justifiably so because Gio Reyna, it turns out very good and could have yeah. been a difference maker. So why don't we talk about those set pieces then, oh. Joe? Um, Christian Pulisic on corners and uh, yeah. Yeah, not not good. So I have some of the numbers up right now. Christian Pulisic in terms of crosses. Now, I believe this would encompass both open play crosses and set piece crosses. Does anybody want to guess? I'll, I'll say he did 13, according to FOTMOB. He took 13 of these crosses. Does anybody want to guess how many he completed? 13 crosses? 13 crosses. Zero? Taylor says zero. Graham? One. One. One is the correct answer. I was hoping yes. somebody would get it. That That is not good. That's extremely problematic for the U.S. When at World Cups, set pieces contribute to an outsized amount of goals relative to the club game. Having Christian Pulisic, who cannot complete those kinds of situations, this is not just a Wales game problem. This has been a problem for maybe multiple years now for the U.S. men's national team with Christian Pulisic taking these set pieces. Yeah. He should not be taking these anymore. I'm not trying to be Skip Bayless, although he was on briefly in between games in our Airbnb <laughs> earlier. I'm not trying to be Skip Bayless. He wasn't in our Airbnb, just to be clear. He was not. He was on TV Thankfully, in our Airbnb. very argumentative man. That's true. I don't want to come across as hot takey here. There is just so much evidence that says Christian Pulisic should not take these set pieces. In yeah. the starting lineup, it should have been Tim Weah. It should have been Sergino Dest. Coming off the bench, it should have been Aronson. It should have been Acosta. There are yep. so many other players that I would much prefer to... Even Jedi Robinson with his left foot. Yep. I don't love that, but there's so many more options. You miss 12 chances. Now it's a miss of, mix of open play and, and dead ball situations, but you miss out on all of those moments. Pulisic's yeah. delivery... Taylor, you and I were talking about this. Mm-hmm. Something about his technique is off. When he tries to hit the ball and bend it into the box, he cannot do it consistently. He is a great player at a lot of things. Set pieces is not one of them, and the U.S. really yeah, missed out today because of that, or at least in part because of that. And, and even in a match where, I don't want to argue against myself a little bit here, but even even in a, in a match where we saw a lot of good things from the U.S., a lot of the fundamentals, particularly in the first half, I, I thought they looked really good in that first half, but... The, the kind of the, the the core problem of the US under Berhalter is they don't translate that possession in that territory into true goal scoring opportunities. And if we look at the, the binary of this game, the US only really had one, maybe two 
high value opportunities. There was yeah. the sergeant header, which was the uh, hit, hit the outside of the post, and then obviously there's the goal. Those are the re- the only the the, the, the kind one, of two. They like almost own goal as well from uh, Tim Wea Ping. Oh, of yeah. course, yeah. But that's and, kind and of the, the first thing as the sergeant header. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So even in a game where we saw a lot of good things from the US, they, they didn't really translate that into goal goal scoring opportunities, and that's where set pieces can be so mm-hmm. important. Yes. So you need to make the most of those opportunities, and having yeah. Pulisic on those set pieces is is just garbage, frankly. And even those crosses that you're talking about there, like the that opportunity in the very beginning of the game, it's Tim Wea bringing down a ball like expertly it never touches the ground and then pinging across into the box it's a cliche but putting it in the mixer creates confusion and that really easily could have been an own goal and i contrast that with what we saw from pulisic on occasion and i want to say like obviously he is a better player than i have ever been or ever will be and he is far better at soccer than most people with that said, don't sell is, yourself short. This is a fun. This is a fun. I've seen you do a step over, Taylor. It's it's good. <laughs> thank you for that. You're welcome. I appreciate that. But the only thing I can come away with is that either he's bad, which I don't believe he is, or it's nerves. And I think there were moments in this game where he is so focused on making something happen that he sees white shirt and just tries to hit it in the vicinity of that shirt, and doesn't always work. And sometimes that cross isn't even on. It's cut out by the goalkeeper. It's cut out by the first defender. And I think that is what we didn't want to see from him. We wanted to see him creating with confidence on the ball, a little bit of swagger, and we had that at the end of the first half, I think. In yeah. the second half, it felt like more desperation creation from him. I, I was going to say, there were still some moments from Pulisic mm-hmm. where there, there was that decisiveness, yes. decisiveness particularly for the, the, the assist, assist for yeah. the goal, which yeah. is you know a, a great ball. Good recognition of the run that Weah's making. We've seen in the past maybe Pulisic would take that opportunity on himself have a shot blocked or something like that he does make the pass so there were still moments but take, take your point in the wide areas when he could get across and there, there was nothing there really at all and a lack of design set pieces I know we, we need to take a break I know we're going long but I just can't get over that that they had so many opportunities to play it short to, to run some sort of play and and I think maybe once or twice they went to the back post. Like it stood out to us that they went to the back post because so often it went near post, didn't get over first defender. And I think that is, to Joe's point, a, a thing that can make a difference for the United States in these future games. So I hope there's a little bit more thought and preparation in those set pieces. Uh, just one note from me: we've spent a minute talking about crosses and mm-hmm. set pieces. Many crosses, though. How tall is Josh Sargent? Six foot, maybe. Is he okay? I, That's I a guess. He doesn't strike me as being. I think he's six one. Are okay. we including the hair? <laughs> I look for wait, should we all take guesses? I say six one, Joe says six. My point Graham. being, I'm debating uh, the of pumping in crosses. Do I have to choose something different or No, you can say it. <laughs> okay, six one, I, I think he is. Yeah, Google says he's six one. Okay. Ryan, go ahead. Okay, he's he's tall. I thought he was a little shorter than that. Sure. I, yeah. I, I was gonna make the point I thought banging in a lot of crosses no. accurate or not. It's the not merits. the ideal, right? It's not It's not what you want to be doing for Sargent, for Ferreira, or even Haji Wright. And, and we saw the U.S. tried to do a bit I'm more of that, I think, at the end. Well, right, he's not beefy Keefe out here. I think yeah. we're, we're mostly focused, or at least my biggest gripe with this game, honestly, in particular, even including the open play problems in the second half, is the lack of quality deliveries on set pieces, where it's yeah. not just Sargent mm-hmm. on the end of those balls, but it's McKenney, ideally. It's Zimmerman, yeah. right? It is those players, even Tim Weah maybe getting in, in the mixer, Reem, whatever that looks like. Those moments should have been better, and those are the moments where you do want to deliver a really well-weighted cross. Yeah, and I think one final thing for me, theoretically, uh, is when when we talk about crosses, I know what you mean with the height. I I mean the Tim Way across, the the kind of just bang it into the box where there are runners making those runs. And I think sometimes people get a little bit too cute, people get a little bit too thinky when it comes to where they're trying to put that ball or what they're trying to do with it and try to put a weird spin on it or try to overhit it. And I think... 
in those moments, playing quickly and catching the defense out is the way you make a difference. If you let them get back into the shape while you do a step over and then cross it in, I'm not even talking specifically about Pulisic here. I think you're letting Wales get into their defensive shape to then play out. If you can move the ball quickly and then catch them with a low cross in, that's where uncertainty uh, can cause problems for the defense. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, more on this game, and then we'll talk about the three Lions. Back shortly. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is Welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our analysis of the USA 1, Wales 1. Perhaps we should give a little uh, nod to Wales and what they did, particularly in the second half. If I was a Wales fan, I think I'd be very disappointed, Graham, with the first half. Mm-hmm. And then big changes were made with a big guy in the second yeah. half. And as much as we can talk about what the US did in the second half, we have to give credit to the Welsh. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that change that Rob Page made at halftime with Beefy Keefy coming on was ding, ding, a, ding, 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 a difference maker. What are we up to now, Joe? I think that's five. Okay, okay. Do you think we'll, we'll reach uh, double figures? I mean, if I have anything to say about okay. it, we will. <laughs> five, five what? Five Beefy Keefe. Oh, okay, cool. Five I, think that's, so I think that's five and a half and now six yeah. and a half because you added it again. Five, five, seven, everybody, day two. Ah. Yeah, five beefy keepies. Oh, seven and a half. Six and a half. Seven and a half. Seven. I'm going to stop are, now. We're off the rails. <laughs> Indeed we are. But yes, that was a, a, a complete game changer for Wales. They just didn't have a reference point in, in the first half. And maybe it is a little bit simplistic and um, slightly reductive of Wales' system and approach in general, but... Just having someone who occupies defenders and the US defenders and pushes that mm-hmm. line back a little bit made a massive difference. It brought the likes of Harry Wilson, not so much Dan James because he actually came off in, in, in this game, but nonetheless, the, the the attacking midfielders. Bale, was what he did nothing in the first half. Mm-hmm. And then when Moore, I'm not saying that he was all that influential even in the second half once uh, Moore comes on but nonetheless he's he's doing something in the game obviously scores the penalty so yes it, it was it was a game cha- game changer from Wales if I was a Wales fan I would question why Dan James I mean did we really need 45 minutes of evidence uh, to prove that Dan James as a number nine was not going to work um I, so dude, I'm I genuinely I'll hold my hands up and say I was I'm shocked because mm. I thought I thought that was the wrong substitution at halftime. I understood what was happening, but I felt like the United States. I think it was rooted in the U.S. is going to continue to play the way they were, and so now Wales are going to have to hoof it long and try to build out under pressure to a guy who's slower than Dan James. I thought 
oh, this is wonderful. And I think it ended up being the right decision because maybe there was an anticipation that the U.S. would sit deeper. And so in that way, I think it's a great tactical choice. I also want to shout out Gareth Bale, who scores the penalty, and Ryan is correct, is it's unsavable. But there are other moments, like when he loses the ball and then sprints back 50 yards Sprint? to put in that... Shocker, right? I mean it sincerely. Like He worked hard to get back, win that ball cleanly, <laughs> no free kick given. And if you are a Welsh player and you see him do that, I don't know how you don't get your energy levels 10% up, 20% up, whatever, mm. but there's fight there. And if your yeah. captain is leading that fight, I think you're going to respond. And I feel like Wales had the better of the fight in the second half. And the Michael Sheen halftime team talk probably helped as well, I imagine. My concern is that you keep doing it, and at this point you're now motivating Wales more than Michael <laughs> you Sheen. You also were gone for halftime. Yeah, what were you doing? Nothing, 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 nothing. <laughs> wasn't me, wasn't me. Um, I need you to understand, I'm angry enough that I might actually blame you for this. Did you go have a team talk with Wales? Did you tell them our vulnerabilities? Did you listen to Joe and then tell them you did, didn't you? I said, come on, you princes of New England, you kings of Maine. I might have mixed up my uh, <laughs> You beefies of Keefe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, with uh, Beefy Keefe and his mm. role, Taylor, yeah. does that give you any concern as to the, the threat that Harry Kane might pose on Friday? You mean more concern? More concern. <laughs> uh, yes, it really does. And I think the whole second and half does, to be honest, because I think if you are overly fixated on Harry Kane and what he can do as a target man, it belies the fact that he does a lot of other things. We saw it today with his first assist where he, Ryan, you, you pointed this out, he like sees the runs, then has like five or six touches, a feint in there as well, and still delivers a pinpoint cross. If you're expecting him to just be a back-to-goal, hold up, you got to try to fight with him, he will use that to his advantage, and he will create scoring opportunities for himself or for others. I think there's plenty of reason to be concerned about the United States going into that England game. I also think I've been very negative. It was a very good first half yeah. from the U.S., yeah. and I think there are things to build upon, and it really is the case. I said this in the live show. If you flip these halves, and the first half is the second half of the United States, it's a terrible first half. We feel like, here we go again. Berhalter doesn't have the motivation, and if they get that goal in the second half and it's one-to-one, -one, it feels like there is momentum building. They have figured things out. It's a game of two halves, and it plays out the way it does, but there is reason for optimism for the United yeah. States, even if right yeah. now it feels like it's two points dropped. I, I think there's a number of things in that first half performance from the US that suggests that, that the US can, can get something against England. In particular, I very much liked how they were making use of Timothy Weir in, in moments of not so much transition, but creating the space. So Weston yep. McKenney was coming over to, to the right side. That was doing a good job of occupying the, the Welsh fullback, which then created the space for Weir to go in behind. And they were playing the ball into that space, mm -hmm. which I know sounds very, very easy and very simplistic. But the, the the natural tendency and urge for a football player is is maybe not to play that that difficult pass because mm -hmm. it is going to go out of play, it is going to go out for a throw in, and that did happen. And that is okay. That that's the, the percentage play that you make. But the one or two times that you do get someone in behind, you get across, like we saw from Timothy Timothy Whale in, mm -hmm. in the first half. So I think against England, the theory is, and obviously you need the defence to hold up, and that is the big question. But if and against England, the theory. Is you're going to have more space to play with. You're going to have more moments like that, and so that you need to have that decisiveness. De decisiveness. I'm having real trouble saying Easy that one to today. Say. Yeah, very tired. What is this day two? It feels like day twenty-two. But yeah, you get what I'm saying. Play the ball in behind. Let Timothy yeah. Weir run. Cross goal. The other forward-thinking look that I have that gives me some encouragement is actually less about the England game and more about Iran. Now, there's two reasons why I feel good about Iran. One, England just rinsed them earlier today, which we'll talk about later. They looked. As bad as Qatar looked yesterday when we talked about that on the show. So that is encouraging. The other thing is we talked about the first half being better than the second. The U.S. looked weirdly better when they were in control today. 
than when they weren't. And I, I thought coming into this tournament that the U.S. would look better when they let the other team be in control mm-hmm. and they tried to attack and transition. The second half, another big reason why the U.S. struggled so much is because they were so slow. They were so slow to get forward into the attacking half. It was difficult to watch, right? We talked about a lot of those reasons already. But thinking against Iran, Iran doesn't want the ball. right? They came out today and they didn't want the ball at all. They were in a back five. They didn't care about having possession. Mm-hmm. Maybe the U.S. is sort of rounding into form with the ball and, and Tim Ream helps and, and the midfield pieces are coming together. Maybe. I don't know if that's true. And I don't love the idea of us having to find out on the last group stage game if it's true. But if we're grasping at positive straws, yeah. I'm, I'm willing to reach in and grab that one. I think Tim Ream does make a big difference yep. in that regard. We've Absolutely. mentioned this a, a couple of times with Re- with Ream, Joe. You've spoken about this. He is the the best ball playing central defender that this in this pool that the US have right now. And in the first half, in particular, you had Jedi Robinson. I know he is normally positioned quite high up on the left side, but even for him, yeah. he was very high up on the left side, and it just gave the US that that method of progression up the pitch. So. I think Reem makes a big difference. I thought he played well in this game. There was points in the first half when I actually thought he was, he was playing very well, maybe one of the best US players on the pitch. So I, I'm, I'm interested to see how that pans out against England as well. Yeah, and I think we need to reiterate, there's there's a tendency to feel negative about this experience, as you said, Taylor, because mm-hmm. it was it felt like two points dropped. Yep. But you have to look on the positive side. A very good 45 minutes, uh, one point on the board, and quite... Possibly another three points from Iran at the very least, if not a point or so from England. So that's that that could be four points, which is, you know, that's pretty good for this group. Theoretically. But I think the thing that we also aren't mentioning is that Wales still have to play Iran yeah. as well. And so that could easily be a sure. win for them. And so it, it really, I mean, I'm not breaking a new ground to say that if you don't get a result against England, your tournament's over. I mm. think. I really do think. And I think the United States has to get at least a point against England. And if that's being very aggressive and taking the game to them or attempting to do so, fine. If it's sitting deeper and playing a very defensive game and frustrating and then breaking effectively, fine as well. I think it has to be a unified approach because yeah. I think changing it up does not seem to be a thing that this team could do. I think we've seen that time and time again. They have a bad first half. They have a better second half. They have a, a good first half. They have a bad second half. And I think if you try to change it, if you try to get too clever or too elaborate with what you're doing, I don't know if that's going to work in this tournament yeah. for the United States. We'll just score more goals against Iran than Wales do. That's a good <laughs> thing, right? Will that work? I, I will say at least we have them last. And if it is totally mm-hmm. like a defeated Iran who aren't there anymore and Wales beat them 1-0, then maybe that is the difference that the United States can sort of – maybe 1-0 is enough for Wales in yeah, that game. I hadn't you get thought three of that, actually. Yeah. The, the, the way the, the, the fixtures are out, yeah, that could actually yeah. be Or an Iran worse. win. Like, there's a lot of different scenarios here mm-hmm. that could sort of help the U.S. Or ones that could not. Yay! <laughs> Fun. <laughs> Joe loves uncertainty. I, I do. I love I just, it so. I, I'm not going to call him the nickname – uh, but I will say, BK. Like, <laughs> yes, BK. I mean, I, I think based on what we saw against BBK, Iran, big beefy key. Based on what we saw from Iran today, I don't see them handling him. I don't see them being able oh, no. to, no, no, to, no, to no, deal no. with that. And so I think Wales. I think U.S. fans should bank Too on Wales beef. beating Iran and that being four points for Wales. And I think yeah. then you got to look at it as how does the United States manage something against England or manage to get more against against uh, Iran in the final game. Why does beefy kiwi sound like a McDonald's item in the UK? <laughs> <laughs> is it a burger or not, though, is the real question mm, we should Chicken be beefy kiwi. <laughs> <laughs> Something in pastry, yeah. I think. All right, that's enough USMNT talk for now. If you want to hear a little more, why don't you head to patreon.com slash Show. We'll have more discussion on there and much, much more if you want to hear that. We're running that during this World Cup tournament, so please go check that out, patreon.com slash Show. In the meantime... Let's turn our attention to this morning's game. Oh, England. Must we? It? How many was it? England what? 
Uh, it was a tennis score, six two. Mm, game set and match, Graham. England unbroken mm. as uh, was getting a tennis score. England six, <laughs> Iran. Two. This honestly isn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be worse. Give it time. So, so far, so far, it's all right. Harry Maguire. Nobody's got any doubts about him. Uh, got the first goal. Saka with a brace. Sterling, Rashford, and Grealish all getting on the score sheet for this one. Iran's two goals from Tarami. An absolute rocket for the first one, and then one from the spot from the second. Gareth, uh, Gareth Southgate was furious about getting those two goals, and I got a quote from him. The players dealt with the game really well. Our press was really good. Our movement was really good. I've got to be really happy, but we shouldn't be conceding two goals at that stage of the game, which I suppose is fair comment, but 6-2, mm-hmm. you can't be grumbling, Joe, about that, can you? No, it, it was a good performance from England. It was a very, very good performance from England. At the same time, to, to pull back the Qatar-Equator principle that I sort of established yesterday, that Taylor had to remind me of as I sort of got more and more afraid of England today, Iran were, were really, really bad in this game. They were individually poor. They were tactically poor. They did not show really any ability to get forward. They did not show any ability to defend 1v1. Marcus Rashford comes on the field, uh, you know, midway through the second half. And I believe, Graham, what was it, the third fastest goal ever by a yeah, substitute third in, fast, in World Cup history? Yeah, 49 seconds. Third he, fastest, fastest goal by a sub in World Cup history. Harry wow. Kane wins a long ball. Rashford absolutely clowns a defender with a really simple cut in the box in that moment. It wasn't anything complicated. It was extremely simple in that moment. Not that it wasn't a good move by Rashford, but it wasn't maybe a goal-creating move for Marcus Rashford, but against Iran today it was. So England played well. I, too, thought their press was good. I thought their Mm. ability to play through pressure and their movement was surprisingly good. Jude Bellingham turning into the best soccer player we've seen at the World Cup so far helped a lot with that, and he deserves credit. This England team played very, very well. I would like to see them play against a Wales team that I think will be much better on, on uh, I guess that's going to be match day three at yeah. this point. Hopefully the U.S. puts out a better performance than Iran did. As I think I mentioned, Joe, this as an England fan, this was the game I was most worried about for England in terms of I thought it was hmm. going to be a drab nil-nil. I thought that Iran would put 10 people behind the ball. But the way that England were able to sort of find the players between the lines and get behind, I didn't expect that. And no. Is that credit to England or discredit to Iran? Both. It's a things can be two things situation. Iran were were really, really bad. England, I thought, played a very good game. Southgate should be happy. They should feel extremely good about their chances to get out of this group. To pick up, I mean, they have put themselves in a position where picking up one point against the U.S. is fine, right? They, They can feel relatively comfortable with that. I do think they should be heavily favored to win that game against the U.S., which puts the U.S. in a tough spot against Iran next week, but still... I think there is a lot of positives here for England coming out of this game. Yeah, two players in particular, Ryan, when you say the US playing in transition, they were very good in, in, against Iran. Jude Bellingham already mentioned him. I, th- I think this was... Uh, England, you mean? What what I was like, the US had good yeah. people in transition? What did I say? <laughs> you said the US against Iran. Oh. <laughs> Future boy. It's day 23 now. <laughs> Yeah, anyway, Jude Bellingham uh, was excellent, as Joe says. And, and it, that, that performance just kind of alleviates my fears that Southgate I, I thought coming into this World Cup maybe Southgate didn't understand what sort of player Jude Bellingham is and maybe putting him in a double pivot where he's got some defensive responsibilities would limit what he can do in an attacking sense mm-hmm. and actually using the back three because there was this question with England that maybe they play a, a, a back three sorry they use the back four in this game but then having Mount in there with Rice as the, an- as the anchor and then Bellingham as well just gave Bellingham that freedom mm-hmm. to at times almost play as like a secondary striker and the other player that was so important to transition and this this uh, shouldn't come as a shock but it was a reminder of how good he can be as Harry Kane and when the, the lineups came out Joe and I talked about this this morning when we're getting ready to watch the game I kind of made a point of I'm not entirely sure who is going to play the pass 
that breaks the low block, the reigning low block. Well, it's Harry Kane. That's that's the player, and obviously that 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 is not a revelation. But him dropping deep, just creating the space for Saka in behind, Bellingham as well, almost playing in a more advanced position than Harry Kane at times. He's just so important to mm-hmm. this England team, and he is the answer essentially when they have to break down teams. That the answer is Harry Kane. Yeah, and I have a tendency to be down on Harry Kane sometimes for England. I think mm-hmm. at the last World Cup, even that game where did he score? He scored a hat trick, I think, in one of the games. He won the Golden Boot. At the he last won the World Golden Cup. Boot, and there was even that game. I was like, he just didn't look like he was at the races for mm-hmm. most of it. Whereas when he's on it, and today he was on it, he's an absolute weapon. No, yeah. not an absolute weapon. That's a negative <laughs> thing. He is. Absolutely. He is a weapon. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. That that's, that means something different. Uh, it yeah, does. he's he's one of the 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 best all round centre forwards in in the game at the moment. I think maybe only Karim Benzema can compare to him in that regard. So two players that if Southgate has a good grasp of how to use them, just elevates England's level as Bellingham and Kane. And on the basis of today's game, it seems like he does have that understanding. Yeah, it does. Uh, uh, Taylor, um, another day, another VAR issue. We had mm. one in on the opening game, and we had an incident early on where Harry Maguire was literally rugby tackled to the floor. Yes. Uh, the, the defender with both arms locked around Harry Maguire, hands clasped, and he's taken down that one. No, no, no. A vicious foul by Harry Maguire. A vicious foul, sure, 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 sure. But then uh, a a, a penalty given at the other end for something slightly more innocuous. Yeah, I believe the technical term for that is a mercy penalty. Uh, Yeah, I think he's sandwiched between the two, and so I think there's just more physical contact there, whereas the first one, maybe it's just a back and forth, like, tussling affair. And so I think maybe that's where uh, they don't give the one for the first one, they give the one for the second. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, talk a little bit more about this game. We're going to cover Senegal, Netherlands, and of course, your favorite listener, very specific predictions time. Back shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. World Cup, day two, maybe day 22. It's hard to tell. It's been a long (laughs) one so far. But England 6, Iran 2 is what we've been talking about before the break. Uh, A pretty good performance from England by all accounts. Um, Lots of attacking options on the field. Very excited about that. Looking ahead to this England-USA game this coming Friday. How do we feel about this one? Joe, you mentioned earlier that you felt like England had the advantage there. Very clearly, I think they do. And it's hard to say anything otherwise after watching these two performances. Again, big quality difference, I think, in the output that Wales had relative to what Iran had in the in the two games that we saw from these two teams, US and England, today. That said, I think England showed a lot of stuff that does scare me. I mean, the US picked up a lot of yellow cards as well, which is something that we didn't talk about earlier. And the 1v1 quality that England has in the attack is a bit frightening. You think about Saka, who has two goals in this game. Mason Mount, who was, I think, pretty quiet, but had some useful moments in build-up. Raheem Sterling scores a goal. Marcus Rashford scores a goal. Jack Grealish, Phil Foden. This team has quality. And so that does uh, that does sort of make me afraid a little bit of this team. Ryan, for you, when you think about this game that we're going to watch on Friday between these two teams on, on Black Friday, 
What do you want England to look like? How do you think they're going to try to approach the U.S.? Because I think the U.S. are going to do their best to make England make those kinds of decisions. I might have some recency bias, Joe, but I feel like a similar setup to today would be quite pleasing. Yeah, why <laughs> change, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't feel I don't feel like that game warrants a back three. I don't feel like the U.S. approach warrants a back three. If the U.S. are in a back four, it makes perfect sense to me for the. For England to be at the back mm. does that make sense, Taylor? I mean, if it ain't broke, I think that would right. be the the, the age old wisdom yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. And having watched the US today in that first half, control that first half. If you play a back three, you don't have Bellingham making those attacking runs. You maybe concede control of the game to the US, and that then flips the script entirely on the kind of power dynamic between the two teams. So yeah, I agree. Back four. Yeah. yeah. And then I think if you if you have Sterling and Saka again, which I don't see why you wouldn't, it also begs the question of what the United States will do with their shape and their fullbacks. And if the U.S. wants to attack through those fullbacks, I don't know if you can do that and then risk leaving Saka and and uh, Sterling wide open. I think England also have plenty of attacking fullbacks themselves. So I think it creates a dilemma for the United States if, if England do go with that back four and how mm. they kind of navigate that while still trying to get a goal or keep England from scoring a goal. Indeed. And that might be a, tri- a, a challenge, Taylor. I think uh, what something that really excited me today was the options that came off the bench. Foden and Grealish coming on the bench, coming off the bench there. <sighs> yeah. Sorry away, Joe. I don't like it. I don't like it, Ryan. Phil Foden does scare me. I was a little surprised. I shouldn't say surprised. Southgate has a lot of difficult decisions to make, and I think he did pick some more aggressive options in this game. I... I am afraid, again, of Phil Foden coming off the bench or even starting in a game against the U.S. I don't think he'll start because, like you said, Taylor, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yep. But Foden's quality, you can see it in tight spaces. I think he might be the best non-Harry Kane attacker that England have. And the fact that they can sort of afford to bring him off the bench, me no likey. I, do not, I, <laughs> I, I am not eager to see that play out on Friday. Yeah, the U.S. are surely not going to defend as poorly as Iran did in that game. So I think even though England looked very good today, a lot of those goals and good moments in the attack comes from Iran, poor moments of execution in mm. defence. There's one goal where, it was the Saka goal, the second goal, where he, he kind of, uh, or Saka's second goal, where he kind of cuts back and, and he gets a left-footed shot away. The Iranian defender, basically, oh, yeah. they, I don't know if anyone has ever done this, but if I decide uh, soccer or pick up soccer, a way to defend is basically just to make yourself like flail your arms around mm-hmm. and shout as you try and uh, put someone off. That is basically what someone did at a World yep. Cup today for Iran. And if you do do that, more often than not, your teammates or your coach will scream at you to stay on your feet <laughs> because you've been completely cut out of the play, and that's exactly how that went down. I mean, I would love to agree with you, but then by the same token, as soon as Gareth Bale was within 20 yards of the goal, mm, fair point. we fouled him and gave away a penalty. So, I mean, I, I think I think it's going to be a really tricky one for the United States. I think this is one where Greg Berhalter earns his money, and I think for Gareth Southgate, this is one where he quietly sits on the sideline and then says somewhat emotional things intermittently. Indeed. Uh, we should note, by the way, uh, a pretty nasty injury to Iran's goalkeeper, Alarisa yeah. Berenvand, early on in this one. Um, he tried to stay on the field, um, but clearly was concussed and had to come off shortly afterwards. 24 minutes of added time in this game. Uh, so we hope he's okay and um, recovers as quickly as possible from that one. I've got a fun statistic for you about Baron Van. He holds the record for the longest throw for a goalkeeper in soccer. He did it against South Korea last year. Would you like to guess how far he threw the ball? I'm going to guess 70 yards. Uh, 75. 68. All right, it was a big throw, It was, but it wasn't quite any of those. It was 66.7 <laughs> yards, which is huge. It's basically in, into, the, into the final third. I think wow. we all, Price is Right rules, we all went over and had yeah. to bid again. Does yeah. Ryan so I'll win? I'll say 66 yards. 
I'll say 66.5, I think. <laughs> I think that's the rules. <laughs> yeah, but that's a very, very impressive story. Peter Schmeichel back in the day used to throw it that far, I feel. Mm. He was very impressive at that. And he had like a really flat trajectory when he threw. This one was more yeah. arced. I, I immediately went to Tim Howard against uh, Algeria. And I was like, that was about 50. So I'm guessing it had to be more than that. <laughs> indeed, indeed. All right. Well, yeah, uh, we hope a speedy recovery from Mr. Bowman. Uh, a very good performance from England. And uh, yeah poised for Friday. We're looking forward to that one very much indeed. The other game we had today, Senegal nil, Netherlands 2. Cody back Gakpo, excuse me, yeah, did. with a header in an 84th yeah. minute. That pleased you, didn't it, Taylor? It did, it did, because I so often have picked players to have great tournaments and be breakout stars, and then Fred doesn't score goals for Brazil. Not that Fred, the other Fred, uh, who I predicted to be Golden Boot winner in 2014, and I believe uh, hilariously did not score. And when I say hilariously, I mean missed some terrible ones and ended up getting benched. So for Gakpo to come in and actually back it up by scoring what at the time was the winner, uh, we then get one very, very late, even if Fox said we didn't. Uh, I, I think it's a really good result for the Netherlands against the Senegal team that I think I had sort of written off because Sadio Mane wasn't there. Uh, we had many people when we did our rankings show remind us that Senegal are more than Sadio Mane, and we learned that that midfield is incredibly good. They still have uh, a strong defense and a solid attack. So I think for the Netherlands to get a result there, grinding as it was, uninspiring as it was at times, I still think a very good result to come away with a clean sheet and three points. Yeah, definitely so. Um, Frankie Dion with a great ball over the yeah. top of that first goal as well, Joe. Yeah, it, that that delivery was perfectly placed, bending in just the right spot behind Senegal's back line for Gakpo to, to go and reach. I was impressed by Gakpo as well. I thought he had a freer role in this game, or maybe not a freer role, but a free role, relatively mm-hmm. speaking, in the Dutch attack. He would play at times underneath uh, a striker or even underneath a, a front two, and then he drift out wide to the wing at other times, and you can see his movement pop up in some of these key goal-scoring sequences for the Netherlands. Generally speaking, I wasn't terribly impressed with the Dutch in this game. I don't think they created all that much. The fact that they left it as late as they did uh, doesn't say a lot of great things to me about this team, but still the result here is key for the Netherlands. There, there are two remaining games, one against Ecuador, which I think will be a, a real fight for them. Ecuador, generally speaking, played well yesterday. They were they were they were fine to good, and then you have Qatar. And if Qatar plays anything like they did yesterday, that is going to be three points for the Dutch. So this result, despite maybe not the best performance behind it, I think is is a really good sign for this Dutch team. I do think the versatility in Gakpo is part of what makes him such a yes. special player to me, and I think it's it's an example for me of Louis van Gaal using him correctly. I said this in the preview that Transfermarkt has him listed as a winger, and that is where he tends to play at club, but for ne- the Netherlands he's usually more central, but then can play on either side, uh, left or right, and I think they use him to basically pop up and create overloads, and to see him basically set up on the right for that goal and then just completely ghost through the defense and get that header. I think that's exactly what he's there for. So yeah, I take your point, Joe. Maybe not the most inspiring team performance, but some good individuals in there for sure. Graham, if you were a Dutch fan and you saw Mm -hmm. Vincent Janssen and Steven Bergwijn as your starting strikers, (laughs) how would you have felt going into this game? Uh, What's gone wrong, uh, essentially? (laughs) I think I caught bits of this uh, this Netherlands game, not as much certainly as, as, as Taylor and, and Joe, but it's the midfield actually that's a little bit confusing to me. So Joe, Joe and I had a discussion of how they were going to set up. I know they have used this midfield previously in, in qualifying. Taylor, who did the preview uh, of the this Netherlands team, came in as, came in as the, the voice of reason with some research to actually uh, provide some context to that. But nonetheless, it's, it feels like it's a midfield that doesn't, provide a lot of creativity in Guile and I know you've got Frankie de Jong and he provides the cross and it is a very good cross for the Cody Gakpo the first goal but nonetheless that felt like that from this Dutch performance that was something that was missing a little bit 
Mm. Were you upset Memphis Pi only getting half an hour because he's your favourite player because he's got pie in his name? And also because he raps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those are the two reasons. What's not to like? Yeah. It is, it is though a, a genuinely a bit of a conundrum for the Netherlands because you have so many floaty attackers. And I guess what I mean by that is Gakpo likes to roam. Bergwijn, I think, likes to roam a little bit, or at least he's not someone that you play off of and have as the focal point in your attack. You can even apply that to someone deeper in midfield, like Steven Berghaus. And and then you look onto the bench, for today's game at least, and you have Klaassen, who scores that second goal. He's not you know, a focal point in the attack. Coop Miners and Darun, who come on as well, are both more number eights than anything else. And then Depay, he's also this floaty, is he a striker, is he a winger, is he a second... What... He doesn't have a defined role, so many of these Dutch players don't really, which feels very total football, in some ways feels right, mm-hmm. but in other ways, practically speaking, can be hard to play without someone like Vincent Janssen. I'm not saying that was the right move today. It turned out to be fine, uh, but just something to keep your eyes on with this Dutch team. Indeed. The Dutch team, top of Group A, uh, joint uh, um, on points with Ecuador in second place, Senegal and Qatar in third and fourth spot in Group a, all right. I think there's one thing left to do in this show, gents. Very specific prediction time. We're going to talk about tomorrow's games. Let's start off with the early one. Argentina, who are beating Saudi Arabia uh, on Tuesday morning uh, Eastern time. Taylor, a, spe- a specific prediction for that game, please. I don't know how many total goals Argentina will score, but my prediction is that they will score three in the second half. Because I could see a scenario in which Argentina start a little bit slowly. I think Saudi Arabia will be very defensive, and I think Arge- Argentina will maybe try to break through there. Maybe they get one in the first half. Now that I've said that, they're going to score in the first like eight seconds. Uh, but I could see it being 1-0 at halftime, and then Saudi Arabia eventually wearing down. Argentina getting uh, at least three more in the second. I think you're being generous there. I feel like it could be a little bit of a higher scoreline, no? <laughs> Potentially, but I'm just saying it's three at least in the second half. Okay, good stuff, good stuff. Uh, Joseph Lowry, Mexico are beating Poland next up tomorrow. How do you feel about that one? I, I think Mexico have the advantage in this game. I think they're straight up the better team. I'm not particularly high on Poland. We'll find out if that's a, a, a ridiculous thing to say or not tomorrow, around this time, if not before. <laughs> My VSP for this game does have to do with Poland, though, and it has to do with how the game, I think, is going to flow. Piotr Zielinski, when I did the preview of this team, and I I believe I did the preview back before the Euros as well, he is their dynamic ball carrier out of midfield. Plays for Napoli, has been a really big part of their success this season in Serie A. Is a really good player, genuinely a very, very good player. Smooth on the ball, very technical, can drive the ball forward as well. I think he's going to have the most yards that he's carrying the ball forward, meters, the most distance that he's going to carry the ball forward of any player in this game. I say that because Zielinski is good. I also say that because I think Mexico are going to control how a lot of this game goes. They're going to have a, a pretty short distance to attack into. I think Poland are going to be more compact. So Zielinski on the break for those moments for Poland, I think is going to be their main man trying to carry the ball forward. I think his performance and how effective he is at that kind of stuff could have a, a really big impact on how the match goes for Poland. All right. And before that game at 8 Eastern on Tuesday, Group D kicks off with Denmark versus mm. Tunisia. Graham Ruthven, a prediction for that one. So my VSP, via the brain of uh, Taylor Rotwell, who may have given me a, a steer on this one, he previewed uh, Tunisia for this tournament. Montessar Talby will give away a penalty. So it seems that Mr. Talby isn't so good in dual situations. And it feels like Denmark, who are very good in quick transition, playing against a Tunisia team that likes to play a high line, will force them into some uncomfortable positions. So Taylor Rockwell with the assist for the VSP and myself with a close range, close range finish for that one if it comes off. Which also probably means a card for him of varying color because yeah he definitely goes to ground readily and mm-hmm. i'm not saying that's nef- necessarily his best skill okay so we on a see. scale of stay on your feet to walker zimmerman what are we talking about here 
Aren't those, wait, are those the same thing? What do you mean? Stay on your feet being like, don't dive into the tackle. Good yeah. defending. Yeah, good and bad defending. Walker Zimmerman oh, being diving in. Sorry, Man, Walker. Man, I think he is He is very good when he stays on his feet, but when he goes diving in, he's very Walker Zimmerman. Okay. Uh, Denmark wearing the black kits tomorrow, do we think? They're, they're, I think they are the designated home team. If I'm um, They are the home team, but surely they would. that would be red, would it not? I don't, I'm not entirely sure what Tunisia's away kit is. That will maybe decide mm. what they wear. But. Interesting. Hummel loveliness all the same, mm. Graham. Uh, the 2 p.m. Eastern game tomorrow is also from Group D. France, reigning champions France, kicking things off against Oh, my Australia. God, I forgot we have four. <laughs> yeah, yeah, four games oh a day boy. from now on, guys. Oh, boy, okay. No rest for the whatever we are. Uh, yeah, France <laughs> taking Australia in the, we'll call it the headline slot, the 2 p.m. slot tomorrow. Um, I, my very specific prediction for this game is that Kylian Mbappe is going to score. Not just that he's going to score, he's going to be the opening scorer. Uh, in three of the last five games that France have scored in, he has been the opening scorer. Huh. He scored the first goal in his last two Paris Saint-Germain games. Uh, he scored 19 goals in 20 games for PSG. It feels like Australia would be a very good candidate for him to open his account in this World Cup. Um, you know, he 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 left off quite well in this tournament last time around, if you remember, in oh. 2018 as well, indeed. So uh, I like him to open the scoring here. Uh, Australia, I don't fancy to do much against this team. Um, I think... I think a point or even a, a win or a point for Australia will be a big achievement for them, given their record in the last few tournaments. Uh, I don't think that point is going to come against France, though. So I like a France fairly comfortable win here. Whether you think France are going to implode or not, I think this is this is three points for them. <laughs> yeah. Mbappe to get the opening goal. We like that. Anybody feel good about that? Yeah. I think good. he'll get more than the opening goal, to, mm. be, to be fair. Quite possibly. Quite possibly. <laughs> uh, yeah. Karim Benzema obviously not I mean, involved in this one. I would say it's Australia, right? Straya, we call it. Straya. Uh, I would say this is a team that like required VAR. France required VAR to get past them the last time. So I think this is still a weaker Australia team. It's a weaker France team. So you never know. But uh, I, I still, yeah, think France should have enough to, to win this one. Though Australia yep. can definitely make life difficult. You are right. They shared a group last time around. But I, I think the talent gap's slightly increased between the two. We shall see. We shall see tomorrow, though, shall we not? I think uh, that's a safe statement to make, yeah, yes. I yeah. think so, too. All right. Pod done, gents. Thank you very much indeed for joining me. Joe Lowry, a pleasure as always, sir. Right back at you, Ryan. Taylor Rockwell, thank you so much. Thank you, my friend. Graham Rutherford, keep on trucking, baby. <laughs> thank you, Ryan Bailey. <laughs> and listener, thank you so much for joining us on this intrepid World Cup journey. We'll be back with another one to talk about all four of those games on Tuesday. Woo! Yeah. But for now, bye. Bye.